It's amazing the power of story to talk about hard things, frightening things, and maybe icky things, (laughs) and know that they can do it. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator. I work with family caregivers, and I'm a frequent speaker at caregiver conferences and webinars. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget the wine. Oh, no, 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 sure won't. I appreciate that. You know, we've been to a couple of plays about caregiving, and we were completely engaged. One of the plays was in New York City when we were invited to be guests of Gregor Collins for the premiere of his play. Our listeners might recall Gregor was a guest on our podcast back in episode 35 and then again in episode 91. Yes, the accidental caregiver about the Holocaust refugee Maria Altman and, yeah. and uh, how, how a young actor takes on a side job to be a caregiver for someone that he didn't know and creates this absolutely special relationship. And that brings us to today's guest, who is an author, speaker, trainer, and playwright. She came to her awareness of the value of self-care when she cared for her mother for nearly six years, including hospice care in her home. She is a storyteller whose video stories have gone viral, and she has appeared on the Moth Story Hour on NPR. Her acclaimed one-woman play, Mrs. Kelly's Journey Home, provides audiences with an entertaining and engaging theatrical experience that lifts hearts and provides memorable lessons. Please welcome to Roger That, Ms. Brita Miller. Brita, thank you so much for being with us today and being willing to share your story. I mentioned in the introduction that you cared for your mother, including in-home hospice. Mike and I did the same for his dad. And so many people wonder about hospice care and how that works and how end of life happens. But we have to say that that in-home hospice was a very special time of our caregiving years. And I imagine that it was like that for you as well. Oh, thank you so much, Bobby and and Mike. I'm delighted to be here. Um, Yes, it really was. In fact, I frequently say that hospice saved my life. (laughs) Prior to hospice, I was the sole uh, primary caregiver, and um, Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I didn't know. And when the hospice team came in, oh, they were a gift. I I, I felt I truly had, uh, you know, a a physical and um, an emotional support team. They were there to answer questions, and it really improved my mom's quality of life. She was in hospice care for seven months. Yeah, that was about the same time frame for us with Roger as well. And and I'm glad that you said what you did about hospice saved my life because, you know, Mike went to work to support us while I was the primary caregiver for his dad. And by the time hospice came in, I was pretty well spent and created a relationship with people that I kind of hated to see go when Roger passed because they were so helpful and they were so kind. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, you know, one of the biggest memories I have as a caregiver was how much I dreaded, hated even giving my mom a shower. She wasn't, you know, difficult or combative, but 
she was so fragile and she was so terrified of falling. I had no training. She was slippery. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And it yeah. was, so, I worried so much that she was going to have a big fall or that I wasn't, I, anyway, um, it was, it was really awkward. And one of the greatest gifts of hospice is they said to me, oh, and we can have a home healthcare worker who can come in and shower, you know, give your mom showers and do this. And I said, really? <laughs> and it <Yeah>. was the <laughs> most exciting thing that I had experienced in a long time. And she was lovely. I know for me, when hospice came in with a comfort kit, that kind of blew me away, right? Having morphine in the house. And that really gave me some issues. And the social worker that was associated with hospice sat down with me and really talked me uh, off the ledge, if you will, because that's the last thing I wanted anywhere around us or my dad. But yes, they are so special. They are such special people. And such a good sense of humor and and just so kind and my mother adored them and you know regarding the comfort kit it was a whole new world i had never learned i didn't know the term active dying i i didn't know mm -hmm. what to look for i didn't know what to expect i didn't know what was considered normal you know as as the process because we are so in our culture you know death and dying is is in a hospital or in a different place and we don't have that kind of experience or knowledge to have any idea of if we're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. So that comfort kit, and when they told me, okay, this is placed on the top shelf in your refrigerator, um, because then everybody knows where it is <laughs> and it's safe mm -hmm. and it's yeah. not available for pets or small children or anything like that. And I just thought it was just so thoughtful. Everything was thought out and it was something I didn't have to figure out. And it was, it was a true gift. Absolutely. And I think in, in Roger's case, because he, he was an immigrant from Italy, where traditions um, very often were people passed at home. Yes. And he had said to us at one point, that's what he wanted. And we were going to do that if, if at all possible. And it gave him comfort when he was passing and it gave us comfort when he was passing. Yeah. And and it is so important that if there's a way to honor those requests and to do that, um, I, there's so many things that I feel um, I, I take great comfort in that we were able to do through hospice to honor my mom's wishes and at the same time not have to do it all by myself. So yeah, it just as in everything, there are good and bad hospice organizations. People are often you know, yes. they don't get it that some are for-profit businesses, some are nonprofits. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean one is better than the other, but they often have a different model. And um, sometimes you just get a bad team or a bad nurse. It doesn't mean that hospice is bad. It means that as a champion of your loved one, you need to maybe make a switch and that you have the right to do that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. And I will say this, that no matter who I've talked to about hospice, they've all been very, very complimentary and thankful and have all said that this, this was a godsend and a blessing. I, I absolutely agree. And oftentimes um, when there is criticism, it may be a reflection of the individual and the family and their relationships or other things that are going on that may or may not have anything to do with hospice, right? About, um, right. 
the family desires or expectations, you know, thinking that people should come in and, you know, clean their house or do something that's just really not their job. How wonderful, right? Yeah, right, right, <laughs> exactly. Um, the, and the one other thought I have about hospice is, um, and it, it was the social worker from hospice who said to me, you know, no one has ever said that they called hospice too soon. Right. And <laughs> we want to let people know that it doesn't necessarily mean that the person is going to die in the next few days. Like you said, it was several months. And with us, it was several months. And and now hospices are, are offering more support services for the person in care at an earlier level. So look into it. Yep. Definitely look into it. Absolutely. And if they're under Medicare, it usually doesn't cost anything to the family or, or you know, I don't want to say blanket never costs anything, but um, yeah, right, but right. mostly <laughs> it, it is a service that, that is available that people don't even know exists. So yeah, it's really important. You know, when we talked prior to introducing you, we talked about our friend Gregor Collins and his book and play, The Accidental Caregiver. Now, on, I think it's on your website or your Facebook page that you said you're an accidental caregiver. I am. Could you explain that? <laughs> yeah. Um, my mom was a spunky, vibrant Irish lady who was independent and went to yoga classes and was very fit and healthy, except for having very high blood pressure almost all of her life. Um, and so uh, we, we moved into this small town, and my husband said you know, he's a wonderful guy and it's a big old farmhouse and, and there's a first floor bedroom with a bathroom right next to it. And he says, oh, you know, someday if your mom needs to, she could move in with us. Little did he know she would have a stroke. And two years later, long before we thought that that she would need um, any kind of assistance, she moved in with us. And at that time, we had three young teenagers, two with special needs. Um, and I had an office in my home. So I had the worst of both worlds. I never got to leave. <laughs> and um, I became my mom's caregiver without any training, without, I didn't know what I didn't know. All I knew was that I loved my mom. So Brita, when you said you, you didn't know what you didn't know, that is exactly what happened in our case. And what I hear from so many caregivers who are now in the supportive role after their, the person in their care has passed, having done it, not knowing what you're doing and gone through that and worked through things that worked and didn't work, we're now helping each other. But so many of us are in this because we didn't know what we didn't know, which makes what you're doing so important. I'd like to think that. I do think that this is... Um, that my work that I'm doing now is what I wished I had known or what I wished what I wished had been available to me as a caregiver. And um, I, that if I have the ability to share my knowledge and experience and do it in a way that is um, accessible and um, entertaining at the same time, uh, it's amazing. It's amazing the power of story and to talk about hard things, uh, frightening things and maybe icky things, <laughs> but to do it in a way yes, that um, that helps icky. people learn how to deal with stuff and know that they can do it and they don't have to do um, it alone. When I was writing uh, my first book for caregivers, Confessions of an Imperfect Caregiver, I had asked Mike if I was able to share some of the moments when he was not at his best or, as I put it, when you were being a jerk. Um, <laughs> and he said... Absolutely. If we're going to tell this story, we're going to tell it exactly as it happened. And I was perfectly fine of my stumbles, 
but I wanted to make sure it was okay with sharing his. And he said, of course. I mean, this is, this is part of what we lived. Yeah. Right. And it was, it was to help other caregivers to let them know that what they're experiencing, the emotional roller coaster, is pretty normal. And it's across the board. They're not weird because they're feeling what they feel. You know, I was. It reminded me of uh, your Facebook quote. I told my friend that emotionally, I'm hitting a wall, and she said, "Sometimes walls are there so we can lean on them and rest." And I love that, and uh-huh. I am going to quote you often. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what I think? Um, it is such a gift when you have the confidence and the ability to say, you know, I'm not perfect and, 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 and show your vulnerability so that people can step up and help you. It, it doesn't mean that you're a weak person. It means that you don't have knowledge or training or experience and that you are a strong person to have the ability to reach out and say, help me, or can you teach me, or how do I do this better rather than slugging it out? I think one of the biggest problems of being a family caregiver is the sense of isolation. That we don't realize that maybe in the house next door, there is a person who's going through similar experiences, but people don't talk about it. I I mean, one of my favorite things was, I think back to times when my children were toddlers and I'd meet with mommy groups and we would talk about potty training. And, you know, the conversation would be lively about, so are you using paper, uh, plastic or uh, disposables or cloth? Or what do you, what about those uh, pull-ups? Do you think they work or whatever it might be? And when my mom became incontinent, I'm alone with her in the house, worried about my couch. And uh, <laughs> no one said to me, have you thought about using, you know, Depends or, you know, what about that? Do you think that would be a good thing? I didn't know. Oh, is this time? Is this like a serious medical issue or is this normal? Should I call the doctor? Should I figure this out by myself? I didn't know. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that Bobby talks about a lot is preparing to care and what you should do prior to being in that emotional emergency uh, response of any situation. My goal, my outreach a lot is to any working age adult, because if we look at the numbers at how fast these diseases are growing, uh, if you're a working age adult, chances are your spouse, your parents, your siblings are going to be affected at some point. But Brita, we really want to talk to you about your play. And what brought you to that? Please fill us in. Oh, in well, our thank you. Thank, and thank you so much. This is um, honestly the best thing I've ever done. And last year, uh, well, a couple of years ago, I, I, I've, I've been speaking about caregiving and talking to family groups and, and uh, healthcare organizations about the value of self-care and doing that through the power of telling stories about times I was not my best self. How when I was burned out and exhausted and didn't provide the best care that I that I wished I was able to. And that's been my MO. Anyway, I was in the storytelling program and 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 working with this wonderful, pretty well regarded director and producer. And he said to me, I want to say three words to you. And I said, oh no. <laughs> he said, one woman show. And uh, it kind of blew my mind because it was in my head. I, I had studied um, as a theater major in college and and had, you know, do a lot of writing and speaking. But that was something that I thought, no, you know, I, I who would want to come? Anyway, last year, 
sick of COVID, I asked myself a big fat question. What would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? What would be the big dream? And the answer came real quick. And it was to write a one woman show and perform it. And I, I called Brian and I asked him, how do I begin? What do I do? And he said, just start writing. And so it took me about four months um, to get a rough draft to get the show. And it evolved into what I ended up calling Mrs. Kelly's Journey Home. My mom was a lifelong traveler. She emigrated from Ireland to America. And she was just this spunky, uh, often hilarious, unplanned, of course, um, Irish lady. And she had a great zest for life. And I thought, this is, this. is there's great stories here and there's great opportunity to honor her, bring her to life, and to share the lessons that I learned. So it's um, it's a story about Irish immigrants coming and assimilating to becoming Americans. And um, it's pretty funny, I got to tell you, the, the stories, the recollections, um, people tell me they were just laughing and they had tears both from laughing so hard and then the emotional roller coaster when uh, she developed... Uh, congestive heart failure, which led to vascular dementia. So she did not have Alzheimer's disease. Um, but I learned so much about the different kinds of dementia. Uh, most uh, It surprises me to this day how many people don't know that dementia and doesn't equal Alzheimer's disease necessarily, and that there's so many different ways that dementia can present itself and impact your life. And then there's also good ways and bad ways to live and care with a person, uh, for a person with dementia. So that's the point of the show. And, and the show really, I thought it was going to be limited to caregivers or people um, interested in dementia care. And what I've learned has been so delightfully surprising that people tell me this that that's an important element of the show, but the show is about um, what matters most. And it's about love and about family and in my case, having no regrets about learning from my mistakes and having the gift of time to be able to, um, to do it the way that I wanted to do it after I screwed up, <laughs> um, but having, <laughs> having that opportunity. Well, I want to make sure I ask you about Maria Shriver. So um, Maria Shriver, um, she has inspired me so much, and I joined her um, Facebook group. She has this great newsletter, and um, you know I share a lot of ideas and thoughts and posts on the on the on her page. And the editor of her newsletter, Maria Shriver's newsletter, contacted me and said, "Would I be willing to write a short piece for the newsletter?" And so I did, and it was just lovely. And the work she's done to um, help people understand about Alzheimer's care and the books for children and the work that she does she does is wonderful. Now, when I was on your webpage, one of the things it said was, this is a soft spot to land. Tell us what you mean by that. I created a website that is primarily for family caregivers. And I thought, you know, a, a friend of mine said one time that she was caring for her dad. He was up walking all during the night and she was up with him and she was tired and she just needed a little companionship. And she said, Brita, I went to your website and those videos, the stories you tell, um, it, it doesn't take a lot of work. They don't take a long time. But she just felt like she told me I got she she got such comfort from watching them. And I thought, you know, 
I used to think of when I would sit next to my mom that, you know, it was a soft spot to land. You feel safe there. And that's what I wanted this website to be. So it is filled with resources, um, blog posts, um, some videos, and encouraging. Brita, it's been an absolute joy having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us, Brita. Thank you. It's been an absolute delight. I have a couple of notes here. You know, she talked about how caregivers, including us, we didn't know what we didn't know. And Mm -hmm. I I loved her saying how hospice saved my life. But one thing that's going to help me going forward is what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? Yeah, (laughs) that was quite an interesting, interesting line. But I want to reiterate that quote from her Facebook page that I told my friend that I'm emotionally hitting a wall. And she said, sometimes walls are there so we can lean on them and rest. And also, I had no idea that Maria Shriver had an Alzheimer's newsletter. So that might be something for us and our listeners to look into. You can find more information about Brita and links to her website and Facebook page on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.